Last Friday, OU officially announced their new coordinator hires with a press release. One side of the coin was expected. The Sooners made Jeff Lebby, former Ole Miss OC and former Sooner, their new offensive coordinator to lead the program into the Brent Venables era. The defensive coordinator hire was not as expected and even left a lot of Sooner fans scratching their heads. Ted Roof has been tabbed to lead Brent Venables' defense. If your first reaction to that name was to say, who? You're not alone. Ted Roof spent the 2021 season as a defensive analyst at Clemson working for Venables and Dabo Sweeney, but he actually has had an extensive career as a college football coach. The only problem is that it's probably a bit too extensive. Ted Roof's career can pretty accurately be summed up with one word, journeyman. The University of Oklahoma will be the 15th program that Ted Roof has worked for since his career started in 1987 as a GA with Alabama. Oklahoma will be the 10th program where he has had the defensive coordinator title. And in those 17 seasons as a defensive coordinator, his average defensive ranking is 60th. He's never fielded a top 10 or top 20 defense and has presided over two defenses that finished in the bottom 100 in the country. He also spent four seasons as the head coach at Duke, where he finished with a 6-45 record. That's six wins and 45 losses. I've observed the Oklahoma fan base split into roughly two camps in reaction to the Ted Roof hire. One faction is supremely disappointed that OU couldn't find someone with a better pedigree. And the other faction's argument goes a little bit like this. Ted Roof being hired is proof that Brent Venables will be a highly involved in the Oklahoma defense, and it's unlikely that Roof will be the play caller, so I trust Brent Venables. Now here's my hopefully nuanced take on both of these factions. I think the quote-unquote trust Venables mindset is probably the wisest route to take right now if you don't want to torture yourself mentally or emotionally. We simply don't know what Ted Roof will look like at Oklahoma under this set of circumstances. If Brent Venables is indeed the de facto defensive coordinator and Ted Roof is just his lieutenant that he trusts to communicate his vision, then I can absolutely see this working out just fine. Look at Dave Aranda and his no-name DC as proof positive something like that can actually work. However, are people that are squarely in this camp willing to admit that there's a large element of faith at play here? After all, you really don't know for an absolute fact that Roof will just be a Venables mouthpiece. If your first reaction to the hire is to justify it by citing the success of Brent Venables has had as a defensive coordinator, aren't you tacitly admitting that the hire doesn't make a lot of sense on the merits? Truth is, I haven't heard one person defend the roof hire using his resume or empirical evidence. And that's because it's not really possible. Deep in the fiber of my being, I want the quote-unquote trust Venables crew to be right. And I do think that is a realistic possibility. But the University of Oklahoma hired Ted Roof to be the defensive coordinator of the football team, which is a title that he has had for 10 different teams in 17 different seasons. And he's largely been unsuccessful. That's a long track record of mediocrity. Venables is making a gamble that is very high risk and not obviously high reward. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Welcome to West of Everest. It's our 227th episode talking Oklahoma football. 
And there's quite a lot to talk about today. Since our last show, we've learned more about Brent Venables' coaching staff, including a puzzling hire for defensive coordinator, which Grant talked about in the opening take. Meanwhile, Clemson made some changes to their football staff, which results in some bad news for Oklahoma fans. Also, we're recording this episode on Wednesday, December the 15th, which is the early National Signing Day in the world of college football. Used to be the first Wednesday in February. Now it's in the middle of December, and despite Lincoln Riley leaving the program two and a half weeks ago, the Sooners have managed to sign a pretty darn good 2022 class. Joining me as always to talk about everything going on in the world of Oklahoma football, a man who, as far as I am aware, has not spent any time awkwardly dancing around a five-star high school football recruit. That man, of course, is Grant Benson. The last one that I awkwardly danced around was was former five-star receiver Trey Matwire, and that just didn't work out well for any party involved. So I stopped that. I, I totally just put a cap on that right after all that stuff came out. Do you know what I'm talking about, by the way, when I'm referencing? Surely you know. I'm, I'm referencing that weird Brian Kelly video. I thought that I thought that Brian Kelly video was amazing internet content. I like I'm actually like that's one of those things where it's just like I'm I feel like maybe I should be collecting receipts of everyone just sort of like making fun of the Brian Kelly hired LSU. Dude's going to win multiple national titles there. Multiple. I mean if history I mean, is I any suggestion, he's yeah, yeah, he's he's by far the best coach they've had there since Nick Saban. He's he's going to be just fine. Yeah, no, I think he's going to be fine too. It's uh, it's just it's very, very weird his antics, but it's not going to matter. I mean, the guy's a great coach. <laughs> LSU recruits itself; they're going to get awesome players. Uh, he already is. I haven't looked at their signing class. I'm assuming it's in the top ten. I'm sure it is. It is. Uh, but I'm just kind of like it's. <laughs> I think the Brian Kelly, uh, the Brian Kelly hate. I mean, hate is not the right word. I don't know if that's. But like people making fun of Brian Kelly like on social media is one of the better examples lately of social media is not real life that like you've ever because like, yeah, it's just like it's all just sort of just like this in this Internet inside culture meme inside joke that you can only ever understand if you are deep into like college football, Twitter or social media. Sure. It's yeah. Who cares? All right. So. If you're a longtime listener to West of Everest, you know that this is not a recruiting podcast. You can get that information from many other different outlets, and we're cool with that. We are upfront about what we are. Uh, Recruiting is just not something that we are well-versed in and not something that we put as much time into as other podcasts and other outlets might do. Uh, West of Everest was strictly created to talk about players who are currently at Oklahoma and the current team. And that's what we are most interested in and we have the most knowledge about. That being said, today is signing day. And because the last two and a half weeks of Oklahoma football have been really crazy and really unusual, uh, I do think that this year's signing class is more significant than in previous years because I think it gives us a decent idea of where the program stands in the very early stages of the Brent Venables regime. So that's where I want to begin the show today. And as we record this, Oklahoma's 2022 class is ranked number 10 in the 247 composite national rankings. And I know that that number can change over time. It can still go up. It can still go down. Uh, That early February signing day still exists, and teams can still get players uh, then that can ultimately shake up the the national rankings over time. I get that. But 
just for context, Oklahoma's class a year ago in 2021 was ranked number 10, according to the 247 composite ranking. So I'd say even if Oklahoma eventually falls out of the top 10 when the dust settles on all of this 2022 recruiting class uh, hoopla, when everything, you know, it, the, the, the rankings are finalized, whenever that is, I think Sooners fans have got to be thrilled with what Brent Venables, Bob Stoops, and the rest of the program has accomplished and not only keeping a lot of really good prospects in this class that they had already had committed, but also they added a couple of good prospects or a few good prospects as well since Venables took over. Uh, Grant, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think relative to what it could have been, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a home run at this point in time. I think uh, they deserve a lot of credit for keeping a lot of these guys on board. Um, some of the decommitments you look at and they, they, they sting. There's a couple that really sting. Uh, Gabe Dindy and Derek Moore. Those are two that really, really sting because um, they're on the defensive line. Uh, they're highly sought after guys that everybody wanted. So, so those, that's, that's not great. That's not great. Um, but the potential of some other guys to come in that, uh, that could fill shoes as well. Um, but yeah, like, I, I mean, if you would have told me two and a half weeks ago after, um, after Riley left that, OU would still be still, ha still have a top 10 class, even in the wake of all of that. Yeah, I'd be thrilled. I, I mean, that's transition classes are always weird. And if you can have a top 10 or even a top 15 transition class, um, and, and OU, I mean, OU has had top 10 classes. They've been kind of stacking those up the last four or five years now. Uh, the trajectory is still good. Um, and I think the biggest thing that's happened in the last couple of weeks is that I think Brent Venables has proved that I think his recruiting chops at OU are going to be just fine. Um, and that's, uh, I think that, that definitely settles people down, I think, a little bit. Because if there's one thing I could point towards that Lincoln Riley brought back to the program, it was elite recruiting. And uh, if Brent Venables can can tinker with the culture and the strength and conditioning, all of that stuff, while also keeping up the recruiting, um, then I think OU fans are really going to like that result. And with Brent Venables being back here in the program, you would think that's got to upgrade the defensive recruiting because he's a defensive guy, been one of the best in the country, if not the best over the last 20 years or so. So the defensive recruiting – should go up, you would think, with Brent Venables. And then you throw in Jeff Lebby, who's already having success, already is bringing over or, or bringing in a four-star quarterback, uh, a top 50 wide receiver, according to rivals. And we'll talk about that here in a second. So, I mean, Jeff Lebby can continue, along with Brent Venables, can continue um, the really good offensive recruiting, you would hope, as well. And so I, what I wanted to do is just to kind of throw it all out there because, I, you know, I'm not an expert on the recruiting stuff. I don't follow day-to-day, -day, like, oh, who, who all had Oklahoma had – uh, who all had committed to Oklahoma before uh, signing day today. And like, so when Riley left for USC, for me, it was like, okay, yeah. Like you hear these reports about, oh, so-and-so decommitted from OU. And I, I'd be like, okay, I don't know who that is. <laughs> like, I, I just, I don't follow this stuff very closely. And so what I want to do is for anybody else listening to this, that's also kind of on, on my level of like, okay, please break down Oklahoma before when Riley was still the coach versus now, now that Venables is the coach, like I'm five years old, I wanted to kind of go over, okay, like who was here and then who left and now who is new. And so you mentioned a couple of them. So before Riley left, Oklahoma had Gabe Dindy, who was a five-star defensive tackle and defensive end Derek Moore, who was a you know highly sought after four-star defensive end. And both of those guys decommitted and Dindy is signed with A&M and Derek Moore is committed to Michigan. Another five-star guy that decommitted was running back Relique Brown, and he is now signed on with Riley at USC. 
And finally, a center, Demetrius Hunter, a four-star center, decommitted from Oklahoma when Riley left, and he's now committed to Houston. So those are the four players that were committed to Oklahoma that decommitted from Oklahoma when Riley left, that Oklahoma lost out on. Uh, but since then now, Venables has come in, and Oklahoma has added three new names to the recruiting class that weren't there when Riley was around, and that is wide receiver Jaden Gibson, a four-star player from Florida, quarterback Nick Evers, a four-star player from, I believe, Texas, I believe Flower Mound, and a three-star defensive tackle, Alton Tarber. And so certainly they lost, you know, look at the, you know, the star ratings, they lost a lot more than they gained back, but that's the, the, the new players they've got in, the guys they've lost, and they were able to commit uh, commit uh, hold on to a lot of really solid prospects in that class even though Riley left and a couple of those names are uh, running back Gavin Sachuk, a four-star running back out of Colorado uh, linebacker Kobe McKenzie who decommitted but then also uh, but then decided to come back to Oklahoma after talking to Venables and stuff so they lost McKenzie but then they got him back uh, Jake Taylor an offensive lineman out of Vegas a guy that four-star they're looking forward to super excited to come to OU Jacob Sexton from Deer Creek, a four-star offensive lineman as well, right in Oklahoma's backyard. Uh, Kip Lewis as well, another linebacker. And, and uh, Jaden Rowe, a four-star, according to 247, out of Tulsa Union, a cornerback. And, and there's more. So they, they have been able to hold on to, I don't know, I guess I didn't do the math. I mean, is that something like nine or ten of their commitments, something like that? And then they added a few 13 guys signed letters of intent. And Brent Venable said today that they're still waiting on a couple more that are going to make their decision in the next 24 hours or so. Uh, so there's a couple of guys that still have not signed but have been committed. Uh, not really sure what I accomplished there with that, but hopefully I just threw some names out there that maybe you guys know or know, didn't know. Uh, and all of that thrown into a blender. Oklahoma now is number 10 in the country for recruiting class uh okay so before i move on to the the next prompt about like who we want to you know watch out for in this class uh, do you have any comments on what i just said there like i mean like you know before riley like do you know like where were they ranked were they i mean they were like a top they were top 10 obviously before those they were guys left class. were they in the top five were uh, they a top no, five class i'm not sure they were i think they were hovering around like six or were. seven i think somewhere around there See, this just shows you guys. We're just we're just not plugged in with the recruiting. We I don't know. They were they were definitely top ten, but you know. I think I mean a lot cares, of the right? times a lot of the times, I mean, there's the difference between like the number four and number ten recruiting class is nothing. It's 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 like it, it's mostly just numbers and how many guys you sign. It's it's really once you kind of get into the top two and three, that usually means you're getting a bunch of five star guys, is when you really I think have to start paying attention to like, whoa. So, like, if you look at Texas A&M's haul from, from this class today, you look at it, you're like, holy crap. kind of looks like they, they took a, a new step in, in recruiting this year. I know Texas had a really good day. But one of the reasons why I don't, I don't, I don't love National Signing Day, it's just not because it's, just, it's all about what if. That's all it's about. Um, and so it's just like, and, and I know it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a running joke, too. It's just like, I mean, Texas has, had, like Texas has had a good signing day every day since Mac, or every single year since Mac Brown left, and they still suck. Um, I, like, I think, you know, the NIL stuff has come up, too, with, with, you know, Texas maybe paying every offensive lineman 50K, uh, you know, like a year, a season. You know that Texas A&M is probably doing stuff that's similar. 
I'm sitting here questioning the wisdom of, of giving an 18-year-old kid $50,000 and what that's going to do to other incentive structures to get better. Like, I don't think people have thought that through very well at all. Um, it's just like, it's so, National Sign Day to me is so theoretical. It's so theoretical when really all that we know is that the guys that Alabama and Georgia have are probably really good and are probably going to produce top five, top five to top two teams for them. And everyone else is just kind of like a shoulder shrug. Ah, we don't really know. Yeah, I'm with you on on all of that, especially when it comes to Texas. I was texting a buddy of mine last night. We were talking about the $50,000 offensive line, all the NIL stuff. And I, I get it. Sure. Like maybe they can get more players. But my thing is like, yeah, like can they develop these players? Because Texas has had all these top 10 classes and they're still Texas. They're not they're not developing guys. I will say, though, you, anytime people like us talk like this, where we're kind of like, I'm not that into signing national signing day. It's all about what if people will come back and just be like, so you're you're saying that five star, four star guys, all this stuff doesn't matter. It's just a, like it just matters like the players. No, like we're not saying that at all. Like obviously, you increase your chances of being good with higher star counts. Like that's that's obvious. Like the whole point though is that you and I we just don't get super excited about it because it, it all comes down to development. Sure, like Oklahoma right now in their current class, I think has twelve four star players, no five star players. Like okay, like great that's 12 four-star guys like and it'd be fantastic if they develop all of them and they actually all end up playing like four-star players if that's the case Oklahoma's got a great shot to win a national championship here at some point I mean like but like the reality is is that that's not going to happen it didn't happen anywhere and you mentioned the Georgia and Alabama it's like the schools that consistently do get these guys to play up to the par it's like okay well they also get all of the their numbers are also up there too so like they probably miss on a couple as well right should probably yeah should probably should probably add ohio state into that that to ohio state as well. yeah yeah so like it, it, it all just comes down to will teams be able to develop their players i mean you, like oklahoma's recruiting has been a lot better with lincoln riley but you can also make the argument we have in the last couple like month or so or, or longer this podcast that certain players have not developed under Lincoln Riley and under Alex Grinch in the three years. And so it's like, will, will that change now in the Venables regime? Will they, will they be able to develop guys a little differently, a little bit better, depending on you know, what positions they play and where they get them from? I don't know. I, I like to think so. And I'll just say, like, I was, man, I was really excited about that 2019 class, which was a top five class in college football. And that's been one of the bigger bust class that, in, in my entire history of OU fandom that I can remember. So, I mean, it's just goes to show you, like, I mean, just having a ton of five stars, it's not, it, it really isn't an exact science. It's not, you still have, you still have to find the right ones and you still have to develop them. So, and none of that is to say that none of the, that, you know, you shouldn't care about this. I mean, there's a lot of people who really do care about it. Um, just doesn't really move the needle for me that much is all. But, like, I think, right, when you kind of go through that 2019 class, isn't it only Woody Washington that you can point at and be like, yeah, he's been a good player for OU. And he's only, like, been a thing for, what, like, 13 or 14 games in his career. So this is, this is I mean, I got it in front of me, man. And Austin Stogner, he's going to transfer along with Spencer Rattler. And Stogner had his moments in 2020 until he got hurt. And this year was basically nothing until the Bedlam game. Uh, Jeremiah Cradell. Has done nothing at OU. Stacy Wilkins has done nothing at OU. Woody Washington, yes. Uh, but we missed him for almost this entire season. Joseph Wette, nothing. Jaden Davis, ups and downs. This past season, mostly down. Marcus Stripling, 
mostly nothing. EJ and Doma Ogar, nothing. Marcus Major, aside from the Florida game, nothing. And then kind of the Texas game last year. He had that touchdown, his first touchdown. Uh, Marcus Hicks has been hurt, nothing. I saw a report that Jamal Morris has entered the transfer portal. He's done nothing. David Ogwebu had a nice 2020 season, but was MIA for the most part in 2021. Uh, Marcus Alexander on the offensive line, nothing. Uh, then you got Corey Roberson, who – was Corey Roberson uh, – was he a JUCO transfer? Or am I making – No, he was, was from – I, I think Corey Roberson is going to be one of the hits of this recruiting class. I think Corey Roberson is probably – uh, one of your starters, a defensive tackle next season would be one of would be my guess. Ellison, Ellison was the eventual JUCO transfer. That's that's who I got him. Uh, and he was the, and with. he was twenty twenty class. Yes, yes. So I mean, you got Roberson, and then then you got JUCO transfers. You got Ramondre in that twenty nineteen class. Uh, you know, that was a JUCO transfer, obviously very good. Uh, but I'm looking at the re- I mean, then uh, Laron Stokes also transferred in in that that class as well, and he you know was okay. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, like incoming freshman in that 2019 class, Woody Washington, Corey Roberson. Uh, I mean, Spencer Rattler was good in 2020, <laughs> got his job taken in 2021, <laughs> and uh, a lot of the receivers were injured. So yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you get, we were super excited about that class, or people were, and they were kind of like wait and see, and, and we should have been. That's a lot of, lot of talent didn't develop for the most part. And here we are going into 2022. And there's two players from that class that we are looking to contribute. And that's only if Woody Washington comes back. I don't know if he's going to come back or not. Uh, I'd like him to, but yeah, we'll see. And, I mean, Roberson, I would anticipate he would come back. I don't know why he – I don't think he would be a guy that's got any NFL aspirate, like any anybody thinking that he could go to the NFL yet. So, by the way – I mean, I'm just – I'm looking at that. What a, what a disastrous class this was. This is actually – I mean, if, if OU struggles in 2022 – you can point to that class as the reason why, basically. And Roberson, by the way, a three-star. Three-star player. And I mean, it's, um, I mean, 2018 class, probably do a lot of the same stuff, man. Nah, there's, there's definitely more hits in the 2018 class, that's for sure. 2017 classes was, was great, was, was very good. All right, so let's look to this 2022 class, and even though, again, we're not a recruiting podcast, you and I have put a little bit of time into some of the players that Oklahoma does have in this current class, and so the question I want to ask you is, who should, we be, who should we be most excited about on both sides of the ball, offense, defense? And uh, I'll be honest with you, I haven't looked at everybody. I've only picked kind of the, the more highly rated guys on each side of the football, and so uh, I suppose the question, if, if there's some diamond in the rough that I'm missing and we should be more excited about a guy that I didn't watch then that's on me I missed it <laughs> but uh, I I will tell you that I have watched a couple of the more highly ranked players from this class uh, do you have certain guys have you done more research than me do you have certain guys that you are excited about because you know more about this than I do or are you kind of in the same boat as me I'm in the same boat as you I mean there's guys who I, who, who caught my eye when I watched their stuff but I just, I don't have a great eye for this stuff. I, I really don't. I'm and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I do. So I mean, so if you want, like, so for instance, when I watch this stuff, like I, um, Jaden Gibson is the guy I'm most excited about in, in the class, and he just committed yesterday. <laughs> so um, I that shows you exactly. I 
when I watch their tape, he is, in my opinion, by far has the most impressive tape. Um, it's a guy where if, if you would have told me, if, if you would have said, watch Relique Brown and then watch this guy's tape back to back, I would definitely prefer to have Jaden Gibson. Huh, interesting. Um, not not because I don't think Relique could be a, like a really great weapon or anything. I just think a 6'5 athletic receiver who can go up and get it is kind of invaluable in football. Um, so I'm excited for him. Um on, on defense, I, All right, you know, hold I on. don't... I'll stop you there. Let's go offense defense because I have thoughts on Jaden Gibson as well. Uh, okay, okay. Because... so I guess the other the other guy on offense that I think is probably has the lowest floor uh, is probably Jake Taylor, the offensive tackle. Um, from uh, The only reason I say that is because when I watch him, I see his size and I see how athletic he is. He just moves really well. Um, and And then... This is kind of what you got to do in recruiting sometimes. You just look at him in pictures. He looks like a grown adult already. He looks, you know, he he looks like he already belongs on a college like uh, on a college roster. And so I look at that a lot. And there's a couple of guys on defense who I who I think that about, you know, already. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned Jake Taylor because I don't know much about the guy. I do remember whenever he committed to Oklahoma, and he seemed like a guy that was super all in with Oklahoma. I want to say he was a big like he was doing the horns down and like saying like we're going to win a national championship soon and he was just like I mean he's a high school kid he's super confident but obviously Riley leaves and it wasn't just Riley it's he's committed to the school so I, I like his vibe and I like that he's a guy that's a super confident dude on the offensive line and you know with Riley gone and Bill Bedenbo sticking around I'm excited to see what the Jeff Levy offense looks like and see if the offensive lineman can get back to being elite i mean like they were basically in 2017 and 2018 those offensive lines are really good since then hadn't quite been the case uh but i wanted to mention Jaden gibson as well so that's one of the guys that i watched tape on a uh, four star six five 185 oh he's tall and skinny and i think i mentioned this earlier he's the highest ranked player in the class according to rivals he's ranked number 49 in the nation according to rivals so he's a top 50 player although the 247 composite had him a lot lower uh, they had him down at number 149 so there's a big discrepancy in rivals and 247. Uh, but I, I did watch a bit of his high school highlights. Again, I love his size, love his big body. Uh, I love big body wide receivers. I, I love him. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's super skinny. He'll need to add some weight, some muscle. That's obvious. You watch the tape. I mean, that's what happens. These guys will add on. Uh, he's, I, I think he's an easy athlete for his size. I think he moves well. He's got some nice speed. I saw him outrun some defensive backs on tape for some long touchdowns so he can stretch the field. Uh, and he played in Florida, highest class of football in Florida. So that says something about him. And I think he was productive, too. I think he, he a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns. That's what, yeah, I mean, and again, I watched the highlight tape, four minutes long, and there was a lot of touchdowns on it, a lot of touchdowns. Uh, Florida originally got him. He was originally committed to Florida. Uh, Dan Mullen out and the Florida dumpster fire. And so Florida's loss is Oklahoma's gain. So... Yeah, he's on, on my short list of guys that I'm curious to see how he develops. He looks like he's a guy that could be pretty good. And, you know, and then and talking about, you know, other big pass catchers as well. Uh, the other guy who I was honestly really excited about in this class, he didn't end up signing today, actually. And I, I haven't seen a lot of info on this, uh, was the tight end from Nebraska, Caden Helms. Uh, he's a guy who's got really good tape, a guy who I could easily envision turning into uh, a, a mismatch, a big-time mismatch in the passing game. Uh, that's, that's one that I'm going to be watching closely. I'm going to be really disappointed if OU doesn't, doesn't close the deal on him. Uh, I thought he was kind of one of their, 
one of the better evaluations when I saw him. It's like he's he's kind of a th- he's a three star guy, and he's four stars per uh, two four seven. Uh, but I know he's a three star on Rivals, and um, he's a guy who I was like, oh, oh, you found a guy, found a guy in the rough for sure with him. Um, so I'm 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 hoping that that Jeff Lebby and and Kale Gundy and whatnot can kind of close the deal on him. Um, but you know, other than that, it seems like it's just it's a it's a class full of it almost feels like glue guys on that side of the ball. You're you're kind of looking for guys maybe to plug some holes and maybe you know not come in right away and be superstars. One more thought on the offense is I had uh, one more guy I wanted to mention, and this position group is incredibly important uh, because Oklahoma's super thin, and that's running back. And you lose Relik Brown, uh, but they also had. Gavin Sachuk, who's a four-star player out of Colorado, he's the, the number one player in Colorado, and so he was already part of the class, so it was going to be him and Brown as the two running backs. So Oklahoma keeps, keeps Sachuk, they signed him, and he you know, back-to-back Gatorade Player of the Year in Colorado, played at the highest class of football in Colorado, and I watched a little bit of his highlights, and Sachuk for me was a tough one because I think he's probably pretty darn good, uh, but he didn't jump off the tape as much as I would have liked. He runs low to the ground. He's got really good balance. Uh, his biggest strength to me, and again, like his you know, four or five minutes of highlights, was his vision. I think he showed great understanding of where the play was designed to go, where his blockers would be, hitting the holes, uh, did a nice job of doing that, showing decent burst. I'm not, I'm not sure how fast he is. Um, he doesn't look to have breakaway speed from the tape I watched. And so he's one of those guys where you hope maybe a year in strength and conditioning or maybe even an offseason. I think he's an early enrollee guy. So maybe even just an offseason can get him going. It seems like, you know, with running backs, it's pretty running backs can can play as a true freshman. I mean, that's that's pretty easy to do. Um, also, in terms of running backs, this guy's not on the list because he hasn't publicly committed, um, although it is kind of it's sort of an assumption or one of the worst kept secrets um, that Javante Barnes, who is a blue chip running back out of Las Vegas, is a heavy, heavy, heavy OU lean. Um, even some rumors that he did sign today and is just waiting for you know to to announce it at the at the Under Armour All American game. Um, so he's a guy who uh, all of the smoke, pretty much all the recruiting analysts have crystal balled Javante Barnes to OU, um, and so that's probably just a matter of time. Um, so you got that for another running back coming in. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, other than that, I would say I, I, it'd be nice if they could get another offensive lineman, presumably, like preferably an interior one, um, or maybe even two of them. But uh, I think uh, there's, there's probably going to be some, some transfer portal stuff. They're going to find some guys, you know, between now and the February signing period as well. Um, I, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, for transition classes, this is going to look pretty good, but do you have anyone on defense that, that you liked? Yes. Uh, who was, who were some players on the defensive end? So I kind of just looked at more of the, the higher rated defensive players they have coming in. And I, I first wanted to watch Kobe McKenzie because he decommitted and then everybody was like, Oh no, he decommitted. But then he came back to Oklahoma after talking to Venables and he decided to stick with OU. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I watched some some Kobe McKenzie. He's a four star, six two, two forty five out of uh, out of Lubbock, I want to say. And um, he's a big kid. He's thick. He's really strong. It looks like a tape. So not this past season. A lot of this stuff is from a year ago. Um, and I was not blown away by it. Um, I think he he plays a little high. I know he's a linebacker, but he plays a little high. 
Uh, I'm not really sure about his foot speed. There wasn't a whole lot of plays on his tape where he was asked to run or he was you know, out running and stuff, so I'm not really sure. Um, although I, I do think he's an athlete for his size. He did get some carries at running back, I saw, so they trust him with the football in his hands on, on offense here and there. Saw some big hits, um, but I also saw some plays where he really wasn't involved in the play, and, and I was thinking, like, why are you putting this on your highlight tape? This is supposed to be your highlights. Uh, you really, really weren't doing anything on that play, so kind of weird. Uh, he played 5A ball in Texas out in Lubbock. That's the second highest class of Texas high school football. And so, you know, maybe this is my lack of experience watching and breaking down high school film, uh, you know, but to me, like, his strengths look to be his strength, <laughs> actually. Like, he's strong. He's big. Uh, but I think his technique needs some work. His tackling needs work. Uh, and I came away unimpressed with the small amount of video I watched after hearing about, you know, this four-star kid that maybe was supposed to, I think, their top linebacker in this class. And so, uh, you know, Kobe McKenzie, like, maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about, but to me, he has a lot to prove. Uh, so I don't know. What do you do? You have any thoughts on my, McKenzie? My my thoughts echo yours. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've that I've broken down a ton of his tape. I wa- I've I've watched his tape a handful of times. He's been committed to OU for a couple years. I remember when he first committed, watching his tape. I didn't I didn't think super super highly of him. Reminded me a lot of Deshaun White when I watched his high school tape. So just kind of very, you know. And you know what, Deshaun Deshaun White in high school looks. Kind of looks like Deshaun White in college does. <laughs> I mean, they looks looks really similar. So now nah, Kobe McKenzie is not not a dude I'm super excited for. Like obviously I'd rather have him than not. Um, but yeah, when he decommitted or like a week or so ago, and I I wasn't the guy who was just like, oh god, that is just that's a death knell to OU. Um, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if Kobe McKenzie is not super productive in his career at OU. Um, but then again, I don't. You know, it's his. I don't. I don't know anything about recruiting, man. I, I'm. There's a guy who, um, who is a, a current verbal Clemson commit. A uh, lot of smoke. A lot of that. He could be following Venables here. To his name is Jaron Kanick or Kanak. Uh, he's the number one player in Kansas. Um, he's a linebacker. He's like I'm. I'm sitting here watching this guy, and I watch his tape, and it really jumps out to me. And just, just to show you just like how little I know about recruiting or how, how little I follow it, I'm looking at this guy's tape and I'm looking at Jaden Gibson's tape and I'm just like, man, if they land both of these guys, these are the two best players in their class. <laughs> um, and well, I've already landed one of them. I already got one of them. So we'll see. I, but I guess, yeah, if, if we're talking about defensive guys just right now in this class, the two guys I'm most excited to watch and to see are Jaden Rowe and Robert Spears Jennings. And they're both not even really kind of not really at that blue chip level big time. Um, and honestly, like it's for me with those guys, it's just look at look at their bodies, man. They're ready physically like now. Um, and I I get a little excited thinking what what can they do in a with that physique right now? What can they do with this new defensive coaching staff? Um a coaching staff that hopefully presumably is going to have more skins on the wall, um, more of a track record of developing guys. And, and what are they going to do with the Jerry Schmidt strength and conditioning program? Jaden Rowe, especially that guy. I, I look at that guy. He looks like a star now. Um, and I know he's a Tulsa union guy. Not, not extremely highly recruited, but man, that I, he, he looks really good. 
So Rowe, he's, he's a corner. He's listed at 6'3", 210, and that's incredible size for a corner. I watched a little bit of his go, tape go today. Go look at some of his... Go look at some of the pictures that, that have been on Twitter since since Venables went and, and visited him. Just look at that guy, and he looks like an NFL player now, right now. Yeah, no, he looks big. Um, I, I, I watched some of his tape, and I like that a lot of the tape, he was up playing press coverage. Um, he... He seems like a confident dude. Uh, I mean, he's he's tall, so I'm not so sure. You know, like he played really high, but he kind of has to because he's so tall. Uh, you know, the question will be like, he, he did he come up to make some tackles here and there? Sure, um, we'll need to work on that. Uh, his coverage skills look look fine. They didn't. He like, he wasn't like a shut down elite looking guy coverage wise. I mean, he was he was good. Like I, he, his ball skills need some work from what I saw, but it wasn't like it wasn't like oh gosh, his, like he's obviously. You know, a four-star, two-four-seven for a reason, and a guy with the right tutelage and the right coaching. Sure, like I'm, I agree. I, I can be excited about this guy as well. I really think he's going to be the he he's going to be, or Venables is, is going to want to make him this uh, a, a Sam linebacker. He's going to want him to play the same position as as an Isaiah Simmons or or like a Keenan Clayton or a. Um, uh, God, Joseph Ibaloy would be one. Tony Jefferson played that position a lot. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking about with Jaden Rowe. Hmm, okay. Uh, more defensive guys. I also watched Kip Lewis, linebacker, four-star linebacker. Uh, he's, he's pretty undersized, 6'1", 200. Um, I liked his highlight tape uh, slightly more than, I, than Kobe McKenzie's, uh, but it still didn't look like anything super special to me. Um, he looked... He seemed to have a little bit more situational awareness and be a little more football savvy than I thought McKenzie did. There was one pass play where he was able to cover two different guys on two different routes because he was he based on the design of the play, he kind of recognized that he was playing a zone. He covered one up and then saw the other guy flashing and he wouldn't cover that guy. And it, it, it confused the quarterback, made him wait and wait, and he got sacked. So that was like, oh, okay, interesting. The guy's like clearly saw that. He knew he was coming. Uh, but but overall, nothing about about Lewis's tape made me think, wow, man, this guy, this guy's awesome. Uh, it's just, uh, but again, you know, not an expert on this stuff. Just kind of watched four or five minutes of it and was like, okay, like, we'll see. We'll see how, how they develop. Um, that's kind of all the, the thoughts I have on the defensive side of the football. Any other thoughts you have? Did you get a look at, uh, did you get a look at, did you watch at all uh, anything of, of Alton Tarber at all? Uh, I watched a couple. There wasn't much out there on him. I, I watched a couple camps he was at where they didn't have pads on. Um, I mean, he it looked fine. I mean, he, he was moving pretty good for his size. I watched like a, a minute-long clip of some highlights from a game a couple of years ago where, you know, he he looked like he moved pretty well. I mean, listed at 6'1", 6'2", 300, 305, 315, somewhere in there. Uh, three-star defensive tackle from Deer Be- Deerfield Beach, Florida. He played at the highest level of Florida football, uh, so at least he played against good competition. He's got a, you know, and so – a guy like Alton Tarber is one of the reasons why I just I just don't understand the science of of recruiting and the rankings and everything. Uh, he's a guy if you go by by the the two four seven composite, he's in the thousands in, in his rank national rank. Um, but I look, I mean, he's got a pretty decent offer sheet. Um, he he decommitted from Georgia Tech to commit to OU. They had offers from Arizona State, Arkansas, Auburn, uh, Iowa State, Kentucky, Louisville, LSU. Miami um and then I watched I watched him play and I'm just like yeah I mean gosh it kind of feels like that guy that guy moves way too well for his size to be that lowly ranked 
Um, and then so I just like what what are people's like? How is he that low? I don't I don't get it. So like clearly stuff is is going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to. We don't know. Um, and that's what I just I just have no clue. It's so it's so hard to. <laughs> what if Alton Tarber comes out and he's great and he's just a great player? Like what then? Like how did he fall through the cracks? The the recruiting service cracks. That's one of those. I just I just don't get it. And maybe it's just it's because it's an inexact science. But I don't know, man. No. All right, anything else on the recruits, their class that you want to get off your chest? I'm good. No, nah, I hope they all. Uh, I hope they're all amazing and develop and get drafted into the NFL and win a national championship. I guess we'll see. Mm, pretty hot take. Yeah, I hope so too. All right, moving on. Uh, we got to talk about Ted Roof, the new defensive coordinator, and you you talked about him in your opening take. Um, I I think your take was was fair. It was nuanced. Uh, there's a lot of faith out there of, hey, you know, like it's Brent Venables, this is his defense, and it is. I mean, this is going to be Brent Venables' defense. Uh, we don't know yet how much how much uh, sway Ted Roof, how much control he's going to have. Uh, Venables wasn't, didn't talk about Roof at all in his National Signing Day press conference today. Um, listened to the whole thing. Nothing about Ted Roof came up, so we're still waiting to figure out Venables thoughts on that all we have is a quote from the press release and basically Venables said something along the lines of hey hey like Ted Roof's a great teacher um, a really good recruiter he knows the southeast very well and he's going to make Oklahoma's defense a lot tougher and a lot stronger okay um, so I here's like my thing on roof like a lot of people panned it um, you know like you gave your take earlier. We're kind of the last ones to kind of give our official take on it because our podcast is coming out, what, like four or five days after that was announced. And, I mean, my take, it's it, – I hate to admit this. It's it's kind of – it's boring. It's like it's almost the same that everyone else has been saying, man. Like I, I wanted to have something different. I really did. Uh, but you mentioned it, man. On the merits in your opening take, on the merits, this is just overall a puzzling hire for Oklahoma. And I might be repeating a little bit of the things that you said in the opening take, but I'll kind of go a little more in detail and, and forgive me if I am repeating it. But Ted Roof's been around for a long time, a long, long time. And you went over all the different teams he's been a part of. Well, like, I think you said like something like 10 or 15 different teams, something like that. Coached it, he's coached at 15 different programs since 1987. Yeah. And like, he's had about in his career. He's had about three or four pretty good defenses in 17 years as a solo defensive coordinator. He's had about three or four awful defenses during that time as a solo DC. And in between every other defense, the, 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 the remaining nine or ten years, they've been at best average and at the worst mediocre. And, I mean, again, like one year on the Clemson staff as a defensive analyst – He's a veteran. Uh, Venables obviously likes the guy. And glass half full, that glass half full read of this entire thing is, is kind of similar to what you said in the opening take, is that Roof is just a guy who understands Venables' defense. He's a veteran. He'll do a good job helping Venables implement this defense. And he's a guy that's not going to go rogue trying to do something outside the box uh, to throw off Venables, to get into his doghouse, that you know Venables is going to be like, no, 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 that's not what we do here. He, he's... You think he's he's a guy that's not going to do any of that. He's not some some young and up and coming defensive coordinator trying to make a name for himself that wants to stick it to Brent Venables because he's the old school guy that doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, but the glass half empty approach 
is that Ted Roof's been around for a long, long time, and his resume is mostly of mediocre defenses. And that background leads to Oklahoma's defense under Brent Venables not being as successful in a Brent Venables scheme as it otherwise would be with a better defensive coordinator. And so which one is it going to be? And that's the big question mark and something that we have no idea what the end result's going to be until we see these guys on the field. And so, again, I really wanted to have a different take on it. But I think the take that a lot of people have had has kind of been the correct one. It's, I think the most important part about this on the merits this is a very puzzling hire based off of his resume. And so, yeah, that's that's why in the opening take, I wanted to put that bit in there about, like, I mean, if, you're, if your first reaction is to try to justify it by citing Brent Venables, you are, you are admitting that it doesn't make any sense when you look at the guy's career. Um, you're, you're having to justify it by working backwards and kind of filling in the gaps, filling in the future gaps that we can assume that this means that Venables is going to be the CEO of the defense and is going to be... But, like, we don't actually know that. That's just a... That's just something... Like, we look at the hire and we assume it has to be that way. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. But really, we have no clue. We have no clue what the what the delegation is going to be, what his responsibilities are going to be. Um, and until we do know that, like, it's just... I. It's totally valid to feel a little skeevy about it. Like, oh, gosh, I, maybe they're trying to get a little too cute here. Well, I mean, I don't know if too cute would be the way to put it. What if this is, this is simply Brent Venables, first ever head coaching job. He's a veteran coach. So is Ted Roof. Roof's probably, I think Roof's about, I think Roof's, I don't know, maybe, maybe 10 years older than Venables, somewhere in there. I, I, I want to say he's like in his early 60s. Um, I think he's around the same age as Bob Stoops. Okay. And so this could simply be a situation where this Ted Roof guy, you look at his, his resume, uh, before Clemson being a defensive, uh, defensive analyst in 2021 this past year, the previous year he was at Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt's defense was awful in 2020. Uh, remember, that was a year where they, they just played SEC competition. They didn't have any non-conference games. They went... I believe 0-9, and Vanderbilt had one of the worst defenses in Power 5 football. It was, it was down there with, uh, uh, I mean, LSU, <laughs> the defense was that bad, and also Ole Miss's defense. If you remember back to 2020, those two defenses were just horrible, and then you throw Vanderbilt in there as well. And I think like if you go, if you go by like analytical SP plus type stuff, it was down there with like Kansas. Oh, yeah. And how like, bad? I mean, it was. It was, it was th- those, are, those are the worst Power 5 defenses in college football. Uh, the year before that, though, he was at App State, and so he was in the group of five, and that was one of his good seasons. Coaching in the group of five, most of his career, in fact, basically all of his career since 1999 had been in Power Five. One random year in the group of five at App State, and App State's defense was good. They were a top 30 defense. Um, they only gave up five yards per play. I mean, it was one of his best years, granted, group of five. And the reason he was at App State is because I believe that was Eli Drinkwitz. He was there for a season. He came over. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz got that head coaching job after being an assistant at NC State, I think, and that's how uh, Roof knew him. And Roof was a co-DC at NC State in 2018 just for one year. And so Eli Drinkwitz got that job at App State and was probably like, hey, uh, Ted, like you're a veteran defensive coordinator. Want to come be the defensive coordinator at App State? And he was probably like, yeah, sure, cool. And so then 
Eli Drinkwitz then one and done at App State and then is at Missouri now, and he retained Missouri's defensive coordinator that was already on staff. So I don't know if you know, what, what does that say about Ted Roof. I don't know. I mean, the guy had been there for like three or four years. I think uh, the guy I, I, I should know his name. I wrote it down a while ago, but uh, he's now currently a head coach somewhere. So like he moved on, and so like obviously Eli Drinkwitz after one year of Ted Roof had a good season. He he didn't like come into Missouri and think you know what Ted's my guy <laughs> I know that Missouri's defensive coordinator is everyone loves him but Ted's my guy sorry dude Missouri DC Ted Roof's my guy he was like no sorry Ted like I'm gonna just hold on to this guy and so Ted Roof was kind of like out looking for a job again and Vanderbilt brought him in he got back to power five with Derek Mason and it was a train wreck the whole staff got fired uh, Derek Mason got fired uh, now he's where's Derek Mason now he's a defensive coordinator somewhere and doing a pretty good job I believe this past year I, I'll look it up I honestly I have no idea where he is oh uh, he's, he's a DC somewhere and so then like obviously like he knew somebody at Clemson and then he got the the defensive analyst so that, that's like his really immediate recent resume and so what I was getting to is like maybe Venables is like hey listen Ted this is kind of like I don't know if they're gonna say this but maybe this is your last shot your last shot of being a big-time Power 5 defensive coordinator. Come along with me. Run my stuff. I'm going to be the guy that's going to run this, but you're going to you know, learn from me, get it, and like let's do this together. And if, if it doesn't work out, it'll maybe be easy for Brent to say, see you later, man. Sorry, because he's already worked at uh, half the Division One schools anyways in college football. Uh, so maybe this is a guy that like, he's going to give Ted his shot. If Ted can't perform, maybe it's an easy guy to fire. I mean, he obviously like he obviously trusts Ted Roof going into this next season to implement his vision. Like, I mean, that's I think that's implicit from the hire. I do think I mean, if we're going to sit here and kind of bag on Ted Roof, I do think it is fair. I'm glad you brought up 2019 with App State. That was an App State team that went 13 and one. They won their conference. That was a good team. That was a good team that. And hey, I one other thing that was that was a team in which a new head coach from a new program came in. And so did Ted Roof as the DC, and they inherited a good group of players, and they won a conference championship with them and went 13 and one. I do think that is significant. I think that that's definitely a point in Ted Roof's favor. The other point in his favor is that, um, and this is something that I, I can't believe we actually haven't mentioned this yet. Um, he's won a national championship as a defensive coordinator, and um, I you do have to qualify that. It's definitely, definitely the worst defense of any of the national title winners. Um, at least uh, since the the start, you know, the start of the millennium, for sure. Um, but I, I I do think there is value. You now have for sure multiple guys on staff who have been through it, have won a national title, and have done it. Well, you have Brent Venables who has done it at OU and Clemson. Uh, you have Miguel Chavis who has done it at Clemson um, as a like you know, admittedly as an analyst or, uh, or as a GA watching, um, you have Ted Roof who's done it at Auburn and saw it done honestly under a, a, a head coaching regime that wasn't very good and saw, saw a national championship being won in really weird circumstances. And so I, I do think that's, that's valuable. Um, but I think if you're going to bring that up, you also have to bring up that the season after that, he was promptly fired for producing the worst defense in the history of Auburn football. Yeah, no, good, good call. Yeah, I at mean, at the time, at at that time. Yeah, the twenty. Uh, by the, speaking of Auburn, that's where Derek Mason is. He was he's a DC at, at Auburn. I just looked that up, um, and their defense was good this year. 
so yeah, he. I dug into the numbers and the stats. You know that Auburn team in 2010, they won the national title. But man, I mean, the defense was ranked 60th. And you said it in the opening take. Uh, ironically enough, in his career as a defensive coordinator, that is exactly the average rank of his defense <laughs> is is 60 in 17 years. And that's exactly what Auburn was that season. What Auburn was great at that year, Auburn could stop the run. They were a top 10 run defense. They created a pretty good amount of havoc that season. They were top 25 in sacks. They were top top 15 in TFLs. And they were pretty good on third down. They were top 30. They were number 35 in the nation on third down. Not great, like not elite, but still pretty good, pretty good. And they had Nick Fairley there to to, uh, cause a lot of havoc, plus Cam Newton. And so I just... Because they what they were, what were they in total defense sixty something sixty, uh, SP plus they were forty fourth that season. That's crazy, man. They Auburn won the national title that year with the forty fourth defense and the number six offense. <laughs> they like that's that that twenty ten Auburn team is as close as you will ever get to literally winning the national title with two players. Uh, they won that title with Cam Newton and Nick Fairley, and that's. That's pretty much it. Very true. Um, let's see. Anything else? Let's see. I, I feel like I had something on roof, but no, I think that's about it. But, yeah, you know, he definitely gets credit for winning a national title, and that is that is valuable, 100%. It's valuable to have that on staff along with Brent Venables and Bob Stoops in the room as well or in the program. And so you're, you're, you're right. I mean, you from an OU's fan perspective, you're almost forced, right, to just have faith in, in Venables' decision. Um, because all we all we can do is just sit here and complain about Ted Roof's resume until we actually see a game played. Because um, if OU's defense comes out and looks great, looks like they have an edge to them, nobody's going to care. Everyone's everyone's going to love Ted Roof then. And here's the thing: um, after I mean, Ted Roof's philosophy is very similar to Brent Venables. He wants to create a lot of havoc. He wants to stop the run. He wants to make quarterbacks uncomfortable. I know, like all defensive coordinators want to do this. But I, I remember I read, a, I read a quote from like years ago when he got hired on one of these schools, and I, I should have saved it. I didn't. But, man, it, I read very similar to what we heard Brent Venable say a, a week ago at his introductory press conference. So it's almost like they're definitely on the same page of what they want to do and what they want to accomplish. So it, it makes sense when you, when you dive deep into it. Uh, but, again, I really do think that a lot of it, this is my opinion, it's, hey, man, I'm giving you a shot here, Ted. Like, I'm first-time head coach. I trust you. You've been around for a long time. You know how to be a defensive coordinator. Uh, but also, you know, like, you, you know my system after a year. Like, let's go do this together. Uh, and also, they're going to – they have Bob Stoops in that program as well they can talk to about defense and just about being a head coach as well. And so, you know, it's going to be one of those things where, hey, here's your shot, Ted. Like, let's do our thing. And if it doesn't work out, I, again, I, I think it'll be pretty easy for, for Venables to say, all right, sorry, man, it's not working out, whether it's after a year or two years. Hopefully, it's, hopefully it works out, and Ted Roof is the greatest defensive coordinator they've had since Brent Venables. <laughs> but, like, I do, you know, the, the people who are, who their first, their kind of impulse is to say, well, I mean, this, this, this has got to be Brent Venable. This has got to mean that he is the de facto defensive coordinator. I totally understand that you know, why you would want to say that, because that really is the only way that this hire makes sense. And so like my, my cynical nature is like, is, is it, there's that voice in the back of my head where it's like, but what if that's not his plan? What if he wants Ted Roof to actually run the entire defense? Well, it's good. We don't know yet. The thing is, it's going to be, 
It's not going to be Ted Roof's defense, though. It's going to be Brent Venables' defense. That's that's the main difference. Like, there's no think, way Brent think, Venables would be like, "Hey, yeah. uh, my first time as a head coach ever, uh, Ted, uh, whatever you want to do." <laughs> that makes, there's no way. <laughs> there's no chance. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. I just it's there still is a lot of unknown. There's a lot of assumptions that we're making. We just don't know how it's going to shake yeah. out. But. I don't know. It's it's going to be like I'm I'm already enjoying some of the Ted Roof memes, some of the Ted Roof jokes. Um I you're not on a lot of the message boards or anything, but people have already people like the meme has already started where like OU's kind of resurgence in recruiting. It's all Ted Roof, baby. It's the roof effect. The roof is on fire. That's well, hey, that stuff definitely definitely makes me laugh. I that mean, stuff's pretty funny. You said that defensive tackle um that they got that you kind of like Alton Tarber you said he committed to Georgia Tech and decommitted. That could be a Ted Roof guy. I mean, that's that's Ted Roof's alma mater, Georgia Tech. Little do we know, it's it's Ted Roof is the magic sauce, man, that we've been missing. I don't know, man. All right, so that's enough. That's enough Roof for one day. Uh, so we've been hoping since this Venables hire happened, we're like, okay, who's going to be on staff? You know, the big thing was who's going to be the defensive coordinator. Other than that, we we're really hoping that somehow Venables will be able to bring over. His defensive line coach from Clemson, Todd Bates, who is a he's an elite defensive line coach and also their recruiting coordinator at Clemson. Well, unfortunately, he has been promoted to assistant head coach at Clemson, so he's staying with the Tigers. So Oklahoma is not going to be getting uh, an elite D line coach from Clemson. Uh, hopefully they they do find an elite D line coach from somewhere else. But uh, that's come out in the last couple of days that. Unfortunately, Todd Bates is not going to be on this staff, and so we're still waiting for a defensive line coach. And I mean, really, the only official defensive hire that's been announced is Roof. Uh, I know there's been some reported. We've mentioned Chavis, but that's not been official yet. And there's been another guy that's been uh, reported as I think the safeties coach. But other Brandon than that, Hall. Yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah. The, that's one I don't. I don't. Um, that's one on the Brandon Hall one. That's one on its face I like. It's a guy who was the DC at Troy the last uh, few years. His defenses weren't great at all, but he's not hes not the defensive coordinator at OU. He's coaching safeties. Um, so that's one that I, I think is probably a pretty good hire. With Miguel Chavis, yeah, that hasn't been announced or anything, but the guy is, the guy is tweeting pictures from recruits' homes yeah. doing the, the horns down. I mean, he's the, he's the DN's coach, but... Um, Ah, yeah, it makes it. It does kind of make me scratch my head. If you don't have Todd Bates coming in to coach the defensive line or defensive tackle, who are you going to get? I mean, you had. I'm sorry. I mean, you had two of the best defensive line coaches in the country already on staff. Um, I don't know. I, I it's it's a little just. Dispo- I'll, I'll let it play out. Um, but I, I I mean I can't sit here and say you know I can't sit here and lie to you and say that I'm not. A, I'm a little bit disappointed. With the with the Miguel Chavis and the Ted Roof hires, I, I I just am. Sure, yeah, and I mean, now that Bates is not going to be here, and uh, I yeah, it I, I don't know for sure if you know Jamar Kane and Calvin Thibodeau were both going to Brent Venables and say, "Hey, man, would love to coach on your staff." Like, I don't know if that happened. I I, I I've, I've heard that that Kane needed to like was kind of waiting around um and i'm i'm sure thibodeau would be would have been happy to stick stick around i mean why wouldn't he he's a oh he's a sooner uh, all the other offensive guy like so like i i can't imagine so i again i, I don't i don't have those guys numbers i unfortunately can't talk to him but like yeah i mean in hindsight now if you don't get Bates and i mean you got chavis like 
if they could have had Kane and Thibodeau still, I mean, in the now, that sounds like man, that's that that would be a great a great duo to still have there. Uh, but yeah, we got you know, we're gonna see. You know, maybe this Chavis guy is pretty good. I don't know. Like, it kind of falls into the same thing as Ted Roof. It's almost like, hey, like here's here's your shot, man. Uh, granted, two different sides of the spectrum. Ted Roof has been doing this for thirty five years. Chavis has never been an on field coach before. So it, it's now, on, hey, I will like, say here's your shot. Clemson fans were pretty disappointed with Miguel Chavis leaving. Um, I guess he he spearheaded a lot of their on campus recruiting efforts at Clemson. He was a big part of that there. Um, so I, I, I'm sure I'm sure Miguel Chavis is an up and coming guy who has a bright future ahead of him. Um, just sort of in this exact moment, right? You would you would hope that they would bring someone in who has more of a track record. Um, but really, it's a high risk, high reward thing. If you have a, I mean, if you have a future star in Miguel Chavis as well, obviously you want to be the, you know, the first one in the door with him. So, uh, we'll, gosh, man, I hate to say it, we'll see what happens. I, I wish with this first Brent Venable staff, we wouldn't have to say we'll wait to see what happens more. I wish we could say, yeah, this guy has a proven track record of success, and we know what we're about to get here. Um, doesn't look like that's going to be the case, unfortunately. I don't have anything else on the defensive staff because we're still waiting on it. Uh, the offensive staff, though, has been official. Uh, Joe John, Biedenbow, DeMarco, and Kale Gundy all back. So that is official since our last podcast. Do you um, want to talk, before we move on to the uh, the other stuff, just while we're still talking about staff, I mean, I I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't, we didn't mention Thad Turnipseed. Oh, yeah. Which is... Um, like, hey, I mean, obviously this guy is not ever going to be on the field for OU or do any of that, but, I mean, this is a dude who <laughs> has had, like, the same position, kind of the right-hand man of Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney, the two best programs in college football the last, you know, the last 13 years. And now he's at OU. And Saban and Sweeney have both referenced this guy as major parts of those program success. So, I... I I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm I'm a I'm a expert in football operations. I would love to be. That sounds super fascinating to me. Um, but the Thad Turnipseed stuff it ju- it just seems like a big deal. We don't know much about it other than what's been written about it. Um, but it sounds like he's going to come in and he's going to make a lot of changes structurally, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm kind of excited yeah. about that. Yeah, that's very interesting that he's got that kind of background. It makes you wonder why the heck did Dabo let him go. It, did, it's almost like did, uh, did, did Dabo and Venables have a dis- discussion? Dabo's like, okay, let's make a deal here. <laughs> like Maybe, want, but my guess is... I don't, I don't know. My like, guess is OU probably offered him more of an opportunity to do something that he wanted to do. Oh. Um, there was a... Okay. I read a... Um, uh, I, I read... I think it was in The Athletic, but he had some sort of quote recently where he was saying that he, he is interested in being an athletic director someday. Um. And maybe he, maybe OU is is going to come in and give him a lot of freedom to do exactly what he wants, um, which I you know just whoa, li- whoa, you listen whoa. to Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney. And Br- I mean, this guy has got the track record to whoa. where he's probably earned that. Uh, all I'm hearing is that uh, he's trying to take Joe Casiglione's job. Wow, wow, that's that's quite the that's quite the rumor you just started there. <laughs> no, maybe, but seriously, maybe maybe that is his thought process. He's just like, hey. I want to be an AD. I have like this resume that he's built up since since he's been with Nick Saban. Um, uh, clearly a good resume. You know, maybe he's thinking to himself, "Gosh, it's 
hell of an opportunity to maybe uh, to improve on another big time program, add another scalp to my wall, and also work for who is considered widely considered the best athletic director in the country. Maybe maybe that is his 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 end game. He wants to be an athletic director. Maybe this is his best opportunity to, and maybe not at OU, but maybe get that experience to where someone would hire him from there. Because yeah, it's like I, I, that makes sense to me. Ooh, yeah, Clemson's AD just went to Miami, right? Like maybe he was, maybe he knew something was. Going, maybe he tried to get the Clemson AD job, and they're like, ah, oh, sorry, no, we're gonna go a different direction. He was like, ah, forget you guys, then I'm out of here. I'm gonna go join Brent. You guys don't even, you guys don't respect me. Maybe, he, maybe he was going for that job. Oh, and Clemson was like, nope, you're not ready, dude. I mean. But Maybe. it's all about incentives, right? I'm sure o- OU probably offered him something that he wasn't going to get at Clemson. So you're not. And it doesn't, so you're ha- saying it it doesn't have to be uh, money. So you're saying it that money Dabo could be role. And, it could be. So you're saying that Dabo and Venables didn't talk, and Venables was like, "Hey, Dabo." Well, I'm sure they uh, talked I want- plenty. I just I don't know if they. I don't know if they. If if the if the thought process was like trading stuff like yeah i'll give you this guy if you give me this I don't know, guy man. I, like that venable's like hey man i want i want todd i want todd bates i want thad i want that and i was like okay hold on hold on man listen man. like we're, we're buddies we're friends here like okay you can pick one todd or thad i don't like you're not <laughs> i don't think you're crazy i mean if you go and I, I don't think you have any sound from his from his uh his national signing day presser today you listen to brent venables man that dude loves clemson dude loves dab oh he Sweeney. does yeah no, I, yeah, he. Um, so there's there's definitely an emotional pull to that that program for him, and no, I mean he's I I'm sure the three guys that he's taken from Clemson so far, I'm sure that was done under a lot of consideration for Dabo Sweeney. I mean, it's straight from the horse's mouth. Just listen to Brent Venables talk. Yeah, like uh, I think Riley said recently, like when he was first hired at USC, that he said I think he said on some show that you know I oh of course like I Oklahoma. I, I, whatever the words he used saying that he still has affection for it or whatever. And he said, yeah, I just want them to be the second best program in the nation. Obviously the USC, like when Riley says that at this point, we're kind of like a uh, kind of roll our eyes, but like if Brent Venables would say he, he hasn't said this, but if Brent Venables said something like, you know, like I love Clemson. I, I just want them to be the second best team in the country. Like we'd actually believe that because he's been saying really nice things about Clemson and he was there for 10 years. So like it, it and great things about Dabo Sweeney. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I, and I, you mentioned that kid, that uh, Jaron Kanek or Kanak, the linebacker kid. Like I, he said today in his National Signing Day presser that he's not that uh, Venables is not actively recruiting Clemson commits. And I know the guy decommitted from Clemson, I believe, right? Or no, no, he didn't. He's he's still. Committed I don't know. To no, it, it hasn't. It's just he's, he's still on. He's Clemson's, just all of his like all of his social the, media the two, stuff has been all OU lately. Really? Okay. He's he's but, been. He's been national recruiting directors have crystal balled him to OU. There's smoke. He's he's coming to OU. Uh, so it's just it's interesting just, though that how like, is he going to get here? Like yeah, how is he going to like how is how is Venables going to square that with Dabo Sweeney? Is it going to be like something like, hey Dabo, like I promise I didn't do anything here. It's if this if this kid wants to come play, it's he really just wants to play for me. Like it, I feel like it's going to be probably a little bit more above board if that does happen between Dabo Sweeney and Britt Venables then Raleigh Brown uh and Malachi Nelson just following Lincoln Riley to USC right I think if those yeah I think if those Clemson guys publicly decommit and they reach out to Brent Venables 
for Brent, that's totally fair game. I, I mean, I could I could see why he would probably still feel weird about it, but I don't I don't think that's unfair at all. I mean, these are, these these are kids who would be making that decision and you know on their own fruition. Fruition. That's not the that's not the right word there. Um, volition. <laughs> volition. Thank you. <laughs> and um, I mean, there. Has but we'll been... see. Well, I mean, we'll see. I I think I think for this transition class, like this kind of the rhetoric and talking all nice about Clemson not wanting to take their guys. That's all that's all well and good here. But if that extends into 2023 and for and that that will be a problem. I was to say yeah, I, it, it's not like um he hasn't taken any Clemson guys. And Clemson has had some defensive guys decommit, but they have not signed with Oklahoma obviously. I mean they one guy went to Michigan, I think one guy went to like Bama, one guy uh God, there's another like elite school the other guy went to. It's like, oh goodness gracious, man! Like, imagine if he, <laughs> these guys would have been like, oh, I'm gonna come to Oklahoma. Like Oklahoma's class all of a sudden jumps up into the top five, probably, uh, if not close to number one, because some of the guys they lost are like elite, elite dudes. Yeah, they're not. They're they would need like five or six five stars to even get close to number one. Oh, I mean, okay. it's that they're they're super far away. All right, other OU-related topics that have jumped up uh, since our last podcast. Obviously, we are still waiting on Caleb Williams. And I saw he was on the Jeremiah Hall, Braden Willis podcast. I'll be honest, though, I didn't listen. <laughs> I didn't listen to it. Uh, I, I did read, uh, for, uh, I saw Jason Kersey tweet about it. He didn't announce anything. And it sounded like, from a couple of the quotes I read, I mean, yeah, I guess if you listen to it or watch it, you could maybe read body language, totally read into it. I didn't find the time or think that was interesting enough to do it. So <laughs> this this is this will conclude the Caleb Williams segment of this podcast. Like I we still don't know. I just like I'm of course when we're talking about this, we're we're gonna sit here and we're just gonna just wildly speculate on a nineteen year old's, you know, inner monologue or inner thoughts or whatever. I just I don't if you're not coming back to OU, I really feel like if he's not coming back, he already knows that. And I just, I don't, why would you go on their podcast if you're not coming back? I mean, because I just, I, I wouldn't be able to man. square that behavior with, I don't I'm know. sorry, yeah, there's, I, there's just no way that his decision hasn't already been made. I, I'm, I'm sorry. He's, he's had, it's, it's been over a week since Venables has been hired. It's been nearly three weeks since Riley has been gone. There's no way his decision has not been made yet. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's it's one of those things like maybe he's thinking like, why do I even have to announce something? I'm I'm in Oklahoma. Like maybe it's just understood. Like he's on Oklahoma. Why would he leave? <laughs> you know. But like we all just we all just assume that there's got to be some sort of announcement because that's what. So players do, you know, that's what people do. I, I, I don't know. I mean, and who, and, but we've talked about it before is like, we kind of want that announcement. Obviously we, we all want him to come back. Cause then we all, we kind of think that that will mean that a bunch of other guys on offense are definitely going to come back too. I'm still of like, and, and is it, if he's not coming back next year, I don't want him playing in the bowl game. I, there's no point. There's no point whatsoever. And it just, it just doesn't make any sense to me that he would stay and play the bowl game and then, and then go and transfer and be with another team like 10 days later when the when the new semester starts. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, so still waiting on him for anything official, um, but we'll see. Uh, by the way, I am going to the, uh, I'm going to go to the bowl game. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, all right. So other news and notes, OU related. 
Spencer Rattler, Austin Stogner off to South Carolina to reunite with Shane Beamer. Interesting. Uh, definitely we'll keep an eye out to see how those guys do at, at South Carolina and how that offense works. After he um after Rattler did his little his social media whatever edit announcement last night on you know going to South Carolina, there was you know there was other stuff like on Twitter of, of people shouting out this is what South Carolina is getting and of course it's all highlights from 2020 nothing from 2021. <laughs> no. And I'm looking at stuff and I'm just like there was one in particular a touchdown pass that he threw to Stogner and Lubbock against Texas Tech last year, and it was like it was like a it was like a thirty some odd yard touchdown pass that Rattler threw like. Off base, he stepped up in the pocket, threw on the run, and it was a frozen rope to Stogner, and it was like a back shoulder that he had to kind of contort to get. And in my head, I'm thinking, "Is like, where on earth was that? Where, where, like that is? He is a totally different player from 2020 to 2021, just completely different. And it's insane, like it's insane how, um, personally, my feelings on Spencer Rattler have just done a complete 180." in the last the last few weeks. One, I thought he handled being benched really well. I thought he handled it really well. He shut his mouth. He stayed quiet. And he came and played when he was called on and did well in one instance and not as well in the other instance. Um, and then when you see kind of what happened with Lincoln Riley and how he just left town and it's, like, it's clear to all of us that Lincoln Riley didn't have his heart or his head into it for a majority of this season, I... I really want Spencer Rattler to go to South Carolina and be really successful. Like, I mean, it's I'm rooting for the kid. Really want it to happen. His his head coach that recruited him for like years, like recru- started recruiting when he was like 14 or 15 years old, gave up on him and left. That's what happened. Yeah, I also wish him the best as well. And interesting in, in South Carolina, there you know, obviously Shane Beamer is there. Shane, we all love Shane Beamer. We all love him. Uh, their offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, and this is a Matt Rule guy. That's a, he's got a Matt Rule background, which is interesting. He he actually in 2020 he coached with Rule at Carolina on the offensive line, uh, and then uh, he got a bigger job as an offensive coordinator with Shane Beamer this past season. It was only his first year, but prior to that, he was on the Baylor staff with Rule for a couple of years, coaching tight ends. So maybe Austin Stogner. There you go. Like he's got. Stogner can maybe use he can use Stogner in certain ways. Uh, then he was at Temple in two thousand five, uh, two thousand thirteen to two thousand fifteen, which I'm assuming I'm assuming that's back when Rule was probably at Temple. I guess I don't know Matt Rule's Temple background. Maybe maybe that was before. I'll, I'll look it up. But um, so interesting. Like he's got a like this guy's got an interesting background with Matt Rule. I, I'm not sure how South Carolina's offense is structured. I'm not sure if uh, I didn't watch much South Carolina this year, but. Uh, I know they were playing like GAs and stuff this this season. Uh, the old Iowa yeah, State Zeb quarter- Nolan, man. Zeb Nolan, yeah. The old Iowa State quarterback. So, I mean, getting I think Spencer if, Rattler um, is a pretty big upgrade. I, yeah, I, I think if they're bringing in Rattler and Stogner, they're probably thinking that they want to throw it around a little bit more. And so, yeah, I, I hope they do really well. I, I, that's going to be super interesting. I mean, it's I'm going to be interested. It's going to be interesting to watch South Carolina football this year. It's gonna be interesting to watch USC this year, or this year, next season. Um, we, I just create it's fat like the, you know, all the the instability and all of the coach movement, all the player movement. Um, I, I think I think is just is a massive destabilizing force in college football that I think could have some pretty 
pretty large unintended negative consequences. But I mean, I can't sit here and say that I'm not, I'm really intrigued to see how it all works out, how it all looks next season. Like, like very much so. So just to fact check myself, yes, Matt Rule in 2015 was Matt Rule's third year at Temple, and that was also Satterfield's third year at Temple. And after that, they both left, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, so he's a Matt Rule guy through and through, so that's, that's good on, uh, for Stogner. That's good for Rattler. Best of luck to both of those guys. Uh, any more, some more news and notes. Uh, Bob Stoops the other day said that Kale Gundy is going to call the plays on offense against Oregon in the Alamo Bowl, and Brian Odom is going to be on staff still to call the defense. So that's interesting. Don't really and know. I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I was it. It's Jamar Kane. And I think Calvin Thibodeau are going to be there for the bowl game too. And I think I saw, uh, I don't, if, if uh, Venable said that, I, I'm sure, you know, I didn't watch Stoops's press conference today. I'm, I'm going to guess that Stoops, Stoops said, said that it. in his press. Conference it was Stoops today. said it. I just watched Venables today. Uh, I was off of work. I'm, I'm, I'm going off know. of something that I saw Bob from Sooner Scoop say, and I, you know, Bob wouldn't be wrong. So, but uh, yeah, just I don't have any thoughts on that really. Just you know, the line in that game is still OU four and a half, and it's like it's a dead line. I don't know what to expect. I'd like to think Oklahoma is going to roll them just because the program's going to. Ha- I feel like the program's going to have a lot of energy. But then again, I mean, Oregon just hired uh, Dan Lanning. <laughs> Oregon could be super excited about that. <laughs> hey, Not that I, here's, here's coaching, what I'm going to say. But yeah. I don't think what happens in this game has any bearing or any sort of resonance to what happens in 2022 whatsoever. None. At all. Okay. That's not a hot take. <laughs> of course. Like the teams I mean, are yeah, I mean people, like, it's just, it doesn't, like, the game is gonna, probably going to be super ugly. It's probably going to be really frustrating at times. And it's just, it's just, it, it is. Like, I mean, it's a, and obviously you want to win. It's, it's always better to win the games. But it doesn't, well, the game doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's, it really is just an exhibition game at the end of the season. I mean, no, like this, this game, this game, well, let's not beat around the bush here. This game is one thing. It's Bob Stoops coaching a college football game again for Oklahoma. That's, that's the novelty of this game. That's what's like, that's people will watch. Well, I don't know. We'll see how many people watch like nationally, but that's well, what's going to be yeah, like, I mean, oh, hey, like I'm, all the nostalgia for it. I'm, I'm going to watch the game and I'm going to be just as excited as I always am to watch the games. I, it's, it's, it's one other, I just, I feel so burned. I, I just, I, th- I think the rhetoric around the cotton bowl last year sort of irritated me. Um, Cause everyone was thought that that was just like another data point. Um, and I just, it was, I didn't feel that way at the time. It just, it just is what it, it was, what it was. And, um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe once I see Bob Stoops on the sideline when I'm watching it on TV, I'll feel a little energized, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to read too much into what happens in the game. I'm going to watch it and I, I hope they win, but if they don't, it's not the end of the world. Well, no one's asking you to read into the result. There's just, that's the next game, you know, it's uh it yeah um, we're we have a pot well, this is this is episode 227 of a podcast you really think that the people who listen to this don't want us to read into the results of that game that's what it's what oh, like kind I of mean, why I, we exist i i it made a lot more sense to care about last year's result than this one i mean the the guys coaching this year aren't, aren't going to be coaching next season it's gonna be a totally different coaching staff so that like last year it was all about 
Will you be able to go out there and be mentally tough enough to do exactly what you should do against this Florida team who's not really trying? And for the most part, they did that. And you pointed out, I think, last podcast defensively in that game, they didn't play that well. They gave it way too many yards. And, and I think I pushed, or I, I pushed back. And they also didn't, right. they didn't get a lot of pressure on Trask either in that game. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Like, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't, like, stupid to, to think of that game. Like, oh, hey, look, Oklahoma went out, for the most part, did what it was supposed to do. And a lot of these same players are back next year. Like, that's what that game was. And we didn't know at the time that their head coach would be potentially looking for another job. <laughs> like, that was not anywhere near, like, anybody's brain. Yeah, but it's also, I, there's, other, there's other, you know, instances that are stuck in my mind, too. I mean, you, you weren't paying as much attention around this time, but I, I vividly remember the Sugar Bowl against Alabama, where they, I mean, they, they beat Alabama, and they... I mean, it was Alabama had like moved the ball pretty easily on offense that entire game. But the thing that was so crazy about that game was just how easily OU was getting pressure on AJ McCarron. And I just remember that I was like, oh my gosh, like OU is going against all these Big 12 teams who try to get the ball out quickly, try to, you know, uh, try to neutralize this OU pass rush. And then friggin' Alabama is trying to do seven step drops and McCarron got sacked like eight times. And in my head, I'm thinking, like, okay, maybe this OU team. Like, maybe these guys are a lot better than we thought they are. Um, and it was, like, scheme and stuff that they were going against. And, you know, they beat Alabama, a team that, that honestly was the best team in college football that season. Um, they beat them by two touchdowns. And they had pretty much everyone coming back from that team. And that's the worst OU team since 1999, the, the season after that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, my counterpoint to that would be the big thing about that game, in addition to the defense doing what they did, was Trevor Knight playing as well as he did. There wasn't an entire season of Trevor Knight putting that kind of play on tape, whereas there was an entire 2020 season where most of the Spencer Rattler play was good, with the exception of a couple of games. Yeah, I do, I, I do think a vast majority of the optimism going into this season was everybody assuming that Rattler was going to take the jump. And then when I go back and watch some of the 2020 highlights, I'm, it's, yes, that assumption was sound. It was very logical. Uh, it's just, he, I don't think people understand how much he regressed, how big of a step he took back. I mean, just night and day difference, totally different player than he was Crazy. a season ago. Crazy. And especially considering that was his, this was his third year in the program, and you looked at, I mean, I know Kyler only started one year, but he was in the program. You know, he came over. He had to sit with Mayfield. He had to sit just one year or two years. Eh. He sat the 2017 year. He was uh, he sat in 20. He he transferred over in 2016. Had to sit because of the transfer rules. Um, and then he was the backup in 2017. Yes, started okay. in 2018. So that was so year three of Kyler in the program with Lincoln Riley, and that was the one year starting. He was awesome. Won the Heisman. And Baker's 2017, his Heisman year, that was his what? That was his fourth year in the program, I guess, but third year starting. And so it was like under Lincoln Riley, the previous two guys <laughs> had gotten better and better and better. And granted, I guess for Kyler, we didn't, he only had the one year, so we can't really compare like, oh, a season to another. He was just, he won the Heisman trophy. He was great. Uh, so it was just, it was fair to think third year of Rattler, second year as a starter, he's going to be a, Really good this year. He's going to be even better. And he wasn't. 
I just yeah, I think one of the um ah man, that's 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 another that's one of the intriguing storylines going into next season. If what if Rattler show, flashes that ceiling at South Carolina? Like I mean, I I doubt it'll be as much as he would have at OU just because of the talent around him is not going to be as good. Um but what if he what if he looks like the guy that he looked like in 2020? That I mean, how much of an indictment of Lincoln Riley would that be? A lot. Big, Big time. time. Big like time. massive. Massive. All right, anything else going on that you want to talk about? Not I can't I mean, think of not anything. really. I I'm just I'm moving away from the football. I'm super annoyed uh that the basketball team lost to Butler last week. Um, and then looked like one of the best teams in the country against Arkansas. That's really annoying. Um, I mean, I, I like I I'm glad that they looked really good against Arkansas. Um, but they I mean they they should be ten and zero right now. They got two pretty bad losses, and um, I think this OU team can be pretty good if they're if they're shooting the three ball well. They're very very good. Um, if they don't shoot it if they don't shoot it particularly well, they can they can go on some pretty long droughts of not scoring. But uh, we'll see. I don't know, man. If you, uh, they, they've shown, they've definitely shown the ability to get really hot from three, which makes me excited potentially for March if they can get there. <laughs> yeah, they can get hot from three. But well, uh, what what makes me encouraged about this Oklahoma basketball team is that even if they're not shooting the three well, I think they're fine because they're incredibly efficient from two, and that's what Porter Moser teams have done in the past at Loyola. You look at, I mean, they've consistently had like one of the best field goal percentages as a team in the country and so that offense and we're just turning into a Oklahoma basketball podcast for the for the you know the end of it here like that's what's so exciting about this Porter Moser team is that he has an offense they run it it's an efficient offense and they get good shots whether it's from two-point range or from three and obviously when the threes are falling it's like at the very height, that's the ceiling of the offense, and they're almost unbeatable in a lot of ways. And you match, you match that with a, a team that takes defense seriously. He takes defense very seriously. And that's why it's, it's so exciting. And, but also, to your point at the very beginning of this, why it's so frustrating that they have lost two games, two games that they probably shouldn't have lost. And so they've gotten up for, I mean, the two toughest opponents they faced, Florida and Arkansas, they've gotten up for it. They beat them both. So, like, they can get up. So it's almost like, they're young. I mean, I guess it's a brand new team. They're trying to figure it out. More mentally focused on games where they're favored heavily. Uh, as the season goes on, though, they're going to be playing this Big 12 schedule where, like every single game is against a really good team. You get into conference schedule. But, yeah, they should be what? Would you say they should be 10-0? You're right. But they do have two really good wins. And they have a third, I think, pretty good win, too, over an unranked UCF team. is a good win. Yeah, UCF on the road. Um, I, yeah, one, one, I think big positive that you can take is that there are two losses against Utah state and Butler kind of both happened in really similar ways where they had kind of like a six, seven, eight point lead with a few minutes to go in the game. And then they just like their, their offensive possessions after that were just awful, bad shots early in the shot clock. Um, and then coincided with Utah state and Butler just kind of getting hot from three a lot of the time at the end. OU was uh, went the game against Arkansas was a game of runs. Both teams had had some pretty large runs in the game. Um, OU was up by a lot, and then Arkansas cut it all the way to three with like six or seven minutes to go. And I think me and a lot of OU fans are probably thinking, "Well, geez, man, this is 
here we go again. I mean, this is a pretty similar similar tune to their their other two losses. But against Arkansas, they 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 stepped on their throat. They went on another big run after that. And so it's just like, hey, hey, maybe maybe there's something there. Maybe that is progress. But um yeah, I mean, I, I think they just I think they have some really solid players on their team. Um Tanner Groves, I think, is just is really unathletic like really unathletic but he's got but he's got some skill he's he's skilled his, his skill gets him through um Jalen Hill is one of the more improved players I've seen on an OU basketball team in a long time uh he's a good player I think I think Jordan Goldwire is is fine he is like I I think um I think if if he's kind of tasked with being a distributor that's when he's at his best they oh you really doesn't need him to score um I think uh you know I I think basically everyone in the starting lineup is a solid player, and I really like C.J. Noland, the freshman. I think uh, Jacob Groves is a really good three-point shooter, and he's he's long and and is big. Um, and I gosh, I I really like Bijan Cortez. Um, he's a guy who like when um he, he was a longtime OU commit. And I know he was an OU preps or an Oklahoma preps guy. Won some state championships. He's a guy when I looked at his high school numbers, they didn't blow me away. I think he averaged like. 14 points a game or something like that as a senior in high school i'm just like ah you'd kind of hope a d1 guy in oklahoma is who is gonna you know come and play in the big 12 can score more than that in high school but man when he i want he's smooth and he's under control and he's got really good vision and um i could easily see him being a really good defender at the point guard position too um i think i think Bijan cortez and cj noland are, are guys that are two guys that uh, have really bright futures. It's a fun team. Porter Moser's awesome. What a great hire that was. Got any thoughts on their uh, their next recruiting class? The next five recruiting class? I mean, I, I, this is way more in depth than I thought. That this is insane. It's like going to Bijan Cortez. How about the? Just <laughs> man, wait till we move on to the women's team, man. Can't wait. <laughs> I mean, they're playing some good good basketball. With Jenny Baranchek. Uh, wait till we get to the we get to the spring. Is it going to turn into an OU softball podcast? It's going to yeah. be electric. It's going it's to be, by the way, Sooners, they have two more non-conference games before Big 12 play starts, two very winnable games against two below 500 teams. So they should be 10 and two going into Big 12 play and they open up New Year's Day against K-State at home. So a very winnable first Big 12 game. And then they have a gauntlet. <laughs> by the way, apparently Iowa State's good again at basketball. They're ranked number 11 in the nation. I had no idea they got good again all of a sudden. Yeah, I know they're undefeated. I think they're. I know, I'm 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 one of those guys, and of course, it's not going to surprise anyone. I really like Ken Palm, the Ken Palm metric in, in college basketball. Iowa State, I think, is like in the 60s in Ken Palm, so I think I don't think they've played that difficult of a schedule. I mean, they've but if they got two top 25 wins, including a top 10 win, <laughs> so but I mean, outside of that, yeah, well, I mean, that, no, they actually have a pretty. I mean, they have wins over. I mean, name brand teams. They beat in Oregon State. I don't know if they're any good. Uh, number twenty-five Xavier, number I mean, nine Oregon Memphis. State was the Elite Eight last year. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, uh, number nine Memphis. They beat Creighton and they beat Iowa. They got some some good wins. Ooh, that's a, Iowa's a good win for sure. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, this the Big Twelve is a monster, and it. I, ironically enough, you bring up K State as their Big Twelve over. I I watched K State play in person last weekend uh, against Wichita State. So that was a. Um, that was a very ugly game. That was enjoyable because I was there in person. But if I was watching it on TV, probably would have would have turned it off. 
Kansas State missed so many shots. They missed so many shots, and they still won. So they're so yeah, they're they're Kansas State basically. They are six and three, and they also have a loss to Arkansas, who Oklahoma beat. Okay, that's way too much OU basketball for middle of December. Uh, let's talk about the upcoming schedule. So I'm going to go to the bowl game. I'm flying out the day after Christmas. And so what that means is that we'll have a pod. I guess we'll have a podcast normal time next week. But at that point, we'll be at one week from the game because we're right now we record this. We're two weeks from kickoff. And I just don't know. Unless we do a podcast, if somehow if I can get a if I can get time to do it when I'm in San Antonio before the game, I don't know if we're going to have a chance to do one before the game uh, outside of next Wednesday. So. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I think we're going to have to we're definitely going to have to sort of rejigger our our usual format for game previews. I don't know. I don't like I know that Oregon has a lot of opt-outs and guys who aren't playing. I haven't seen a list of that or anything. So, I mean, we don't even know who's going to play. I think um, you know, right now we know that Benito, Thomas, Winfrey, and Asamo have opted out for OU. I think in Bob Stoops' presser today, he said he doesn't expect any any, any more opt outs, um, and so that's interesting. I mean, you, I mean, those were that presumably that means we're going to see a lot of Danny Stutzman, a lot of Corey Roberson, a lot of Isaiah Coe. Um, hopefully, yeah, probably a lot of Marcus Stripling, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of Ethan Downs. I hope we see a lot of Clayton um, Smith. I want to see that guy play. I I also I also really hope we see a lot of Clayton Smith. And you, you would think that's what it'll be. I mean, it'll because Caleb Kelly's not playing. You got to think it's probably Stripling and and Clayton Smith right there. Yeah. I mean, Brendan Walker, I think, is there too. But uh, if he's healthy, I feel like he's been hurt all year. I always see him like, like yeah, he's on the been sidelines. he's been hurt. Um, so yeah, I mean that that aspect of it is going to be interesting to watch. Um, not a lot outside of the the guys who have transferred, right? I mean, offense seems to be pretty untouched. At least the entire offensive line seems to be. So I, I mean, I could easily see a scenario, right, where OU scores a lot of points if Caleb's playing. Yeah, I mean, we're close to the program. I haven't done the Oregon research either, either. But man, I mean, I'm afraid. Like right now, OU is a four and a half point favorite, which that line is telling. Like, that's Vegas telling you, like they don't know. They're like, ah, eh. like we're right in the middle between three and seven. It's like we're not sure. Uh, we th- but we don't think uh, we think Oklahoma's better, but we don't know how, like. I'm wondering, like, are you, am I missing a golden opportunity here to come in just big on the OU? Because I think Oklahoma at this point, they should win by this. They should blow them out, man. Like, Oregon's not going to care. They just, I, I, but then again, they just got embarrassed by Utah the last time they played. Maybe Oregon's going to want to end the season on a high note. Okay, I mean, but then again, OU just got, they got beat by their rival, man. Their in-state rival for the first time in six, seven years. They got Bob Stoops coaching for them. They're going to be excited about that. I'm not sure who's going to coach for Oregon, who their interim coach is going to be. Um, I don't know, is, uh, is, is Chip Kelly going to be the interim head coach? Old-time Oregon coach? Try th- <laughs> sure, that would be, there There would be no no problems contractually at all <laughs> yeah. with him and UCLA doing that. I think, like, who are some old Oregon coaches like that that were there for, they had a Mike Bellotti. Is Mike Bellotti going to coach for Oregon? <laughs> I think I think there were like I think Bellotti is still pretty connected to that Oregon program. I think there were people who actually were just like, hell, Barry Alvarez stepped in and coached for Wisconsin a handful of years ago after yeah in the Rose Bowl after what's his name left. Yeah, I mean Bellotti, he was at Oregon for a long time, man. Head coach from '95 to 2008. Uh, and he was uh. 
anyways, who cares? Um, so yeah, we're going to figure out our schedule. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have a podcast next week. That might be the last one before the game. We'll see. Um, any I, thoughts on the on the uh, on the most? I mean, of my lifetime, the most forgettable Heisman Trophy winner of my lifetime. <laughs> I would say the Devonte Smith's even more forgettable than uh, a quarterback. Winning probably. It. I mean, like probably. Yeah, I'm sure more people will forget that one. But um, man, I, does anyone actually think Bryce Young is the best player in the country? I, I don't think anyone actually does. I don't know. It's it's just sad, man. The Heisman Trophy is just Don't so... get me wrong. He's good. He's he's clearly been the best, most consistent quarterback in the country this season uh, from beginning to end. And he had, a, he had a really great game against Georgia. He was great. He was great against Georgia. But I, I don't know. I, I guess this would have been a perfect year to give it to Aiden Hutchinson or Will Anderson. I... I but I, I, I kind of feel like the fact that there wasn't some huge like campaign among sports writers or anything to make that happen made me believe that just nobody cares anymore. I think nobody that's cares. that's got to be it, man. I I don't care. Uh, I mean, I, I was at the Heisman ceremony in 2019 because Jalen Hurts was there and I got a chance to go. And that was a cool experience. That's when Joe Burrow won the award. Uh, very well-deserving, obviously. Uh, but man, the last, I don't know, I guess, I guess at least this season, this they actually had the real ceremony. At least they had people. They actually did the whole thing. 2020 was so weird. You know, it was all virtual or whatever. Um, but I don't know. Maybe maybe we just need a, a year where there's actually a good competition where we don't know. <laughs> like, where there actually could be a couple of guys that could win it. Whereas this year, it, it just, I mean, it turns into a quarterback award. We all know that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's all I have on it. Except, except like in the years where it's not. I... <laughs> I, it's, Except for like, last right? year, I mean, there was what it was. There were in two thousand nine when Mark Ingram won. There were like no quarterbacks. It was the finalists were Ingram and Dominican Sue and Toby Gerhardt. And Ingram probably should have finished last amongst those three guys. And it's he's more still, than, he's it's still more than just a won. decade ago, man. That was so long ago. Um, let's see here. When Derrick Henry won, Christian McCaffrey should have won. Even though the Derrick Henry win looks looks extremely good in hindsight now, but still. Okay, yeah, I don't have any other Heisman thoughts. Um, we'll be back next week with uh, well, something. <laughs> we'll put something in your podcast player. <laughs> uh, until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.